Welcome to the Way Church Podcast. The Way Church exists to love God, love others, and make disciples. You can find out more about the Way Church at thewaychurchrva.com. Now we hope you enjoyed today's podcast. Amen, amen, amen. Church, you grab your seats, grab your Bibles. We're going to be in Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. If you don't, don't know where that is, uh, you have a table of contents, use it. There's no shame in a table of contents game. You know what I'm saying? Or ask a friend, ask your neighbor. We'll get there. So let's see, it was 1998, and it was my senior year, starting the fall football season. And so here I am, just going out for the first time for football. My friends were doing it. I'm like, yeah, I'll do it too. I like hanging out with you. I'll go try some football, right? Senior year. And so I was about 5'10, 125. <laughs> Built like this. Everybody's- this is me, right? Put pads on that, a helmet. That's what I look like, right? And so I am um, uh, doing this football thing, and they have this drill to where you lay on your backs on the ground, and your helmets touching each other. So one guy here, one guy here, helmets here, feet down here, on your back. And when they say go, one person has the ball, the other person does not. They're supposed to get up. The guy with the ball is supposed to run through the guy that doesn't have the ball. The guy that is on the wall is supposed to tackle the guy with the ball. You guys tracking this so far? Okay. So we're on this line, waiting our turn, and I get up, and I, I see my friend. Uh, about 6'1", 180. Been playing football all his life. Pretty talented. And you know, I don't know about, about guys. I know but guys are pretty competitive anyway. But when it's their friend, the competitiveness just ramps up. Like, oh, yeah, I am going to own you on this, right? And so I'm like, oh, here it comes. This ain't going to end good. And so we get down, and the coach says go, and I try to get up as fast as I can. And I'll, by the time I'm halfway up, he's already up and done mowed me over, like just done. So we get back in line. I'm like, oh, man, that did not go well. All right, got it again. Do it again. says go. I'm barely up. And my friend just mowed me over again. I have no shot at this. And so here I am. I'm like, this is not going well. And it wasn't like I wasn't trying. I was trying as hard as I could. I didn't have the ability or the size I could not literally get my friend like I couldn't get up fast enough. And so as I was thinking about this, I wonder how many of us follow Jesus like this. Like we try in our own strength to do all these things, and it just doesn't go well. I think we forget where our power source is. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We're continuing a series called By Faith. And really, what we're looking at is we're brought to life by faith, and we live by faith. And so if you're taking notes, you can title this sermon, Stop Trying. Stop Trying. Which leads us to Galatians chapter 3. And we're going to pick up in verse 10. It says this, For all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. Because it is written, everyone who does not do everything in the book of the law is cursed. Now, it is clear that no one is justified before God by the law, because the righteous will live by faith. I'm just going to pause there for just a minute. Because really, we're going to ask the question, how can one be justified before God? Justified meaning declared innocent before God. And we've got to ask the question, is it just simply being better than you are better? 
Is it by if you align your chakras, if you reincarnate enough times, if you obey the five pillars? Even if you obey the Ten Commandments, which is an aspect of the law he's re referencing. Or does it matter at all? Oprah would say it doesn't. All roads lead to heaven anyway, right? That's the culture we live in. Just follow your path, and they're all going to God anyway. The Bible says this. Everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God and declared guilty before a holy judge, that judge being God. And by way of our guilty sentence, we're all on this spiritual death row. And so the question is, if you think about death row, an inmate on death row, is there anything that person can do to save him or herself? The answer is no. Nothing. You're guilty, and you're just waiting your sentence. It's very much what life looks like without Jesus. We've all been declared guilty, and we can't be justified in and of ourselves. But this is the power of what Jesus says in John 3.16. I think we get numb to it because we hear it so much. Jesus says, God so loved the world in, in this way, that he gave his one and only son, speaking of himself, so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Let that soak in for a minute. Jesus says, God gave this to you because we could not earn it. And so that everyone, you know who everyone is? That's everybody, right? Everyone. Doesn't matter what you've been through, what you did, what you've done, what you're doing. Everyone who comes to Jesus by faith will be saved. Everyone who believes will have eternal life. Romans 4 into Romans chapter 5 says it like this. It says, he, referencing Jesus, was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It reminds me, so it's justification by faith alone in Christ alone, meaning we're declared innocent if we come to him by faith, realizing that we need him, we can't do it ourselves. You know, being a pastor's kid isn't easy, so there's easy sermon illustrations for me, but I try to not give you their names for the sake of, you know, not embarrassing them. But my daughter, when she was about 10, uh, she was <laughs> playing with her belt in her bedroom. And uh, next thing you know, we hear this glass break, and what in the world? Walk up there, and the ceiling light glass had broken and shattered because she's whipping her belt around and hit it. Well, I don't know, maybe rules in your house, that's fine. No, our house, that's not okay, right? We don't like our stuff to get broke. And so what was she going to do at that point? She could do nothing to fix my light. She didn't have any money. She didn't have a job. Slacker at 10 years old. I don't know what she's doing. She could do nothing to replace it. She can't build and form a new light. She can't do anything. So I had to go to Lowe's, replace the bulb and all these different things and the, sh the shroud around it. Because she couldn't do that her, of herself. This is an aspect of what God did for us, but this is a lot more cute than what God really did. It's more like this. So anyone ever broken a law? Raise your hand. Anyone? I just want to see what kind of crowd we're dealing with. So if I'm reading the room right, we're about to lawbreakers and liars. The liars are the ones that didn't raise your hand. <laughs> right? That's right. So you're a good company. 
Like most of y'all, if we're honest, we broke the law on the way here speeding, right? 47 to 45, done. Yeah. You don't, don't raise your hand on that. You don't, you don't got to do that. But this is what happens. So that would be like if I got busted for speeding, I go to court, I have this fine, and the judge says, you know what, I'll pay the ticket. And most would be like, oh, that's nice. So we started to get a glimpse of what God did for us. But it's more like the, the murderer. The murderer stands before the judge. Done. He did it. Murderer. But the judge takes off his robe gets down, and takes the sentence, stands in the place of the murderer, the death that he deserves, the sentence he deserves, and the judge takes his place, pays the price, dies so that he doesn't have to. That's what God does for us, did for us. But only is applied if you believe and receive it. You can't do anything to earn it. This is the goodness of God's grace. So according to the Bible, we are all black-hearted sinners, hopelessly, hopelessly stuck in the muck of our mess-ups. And we're all in need of rescuing. I know this sounds like a downer, but we have to know the bad news before we can get to the really good news of God's grace. So we're all stuck in this mess. And it reminds me, so years ago, I went through rescue swimmer training. I was a lot better shape maybe back then and could swim a little better. Rescue swimmer training. And so what, one of the things they teach you in rescue swimmer training is if someone's drowning, the steps to go through. And keep in mind, we're trained at swimming good, right? So step one is something like reach first. A pole or something, see if you can reach them. You can't do that. Maybe you throw the, 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 the flotation device life ring to them. The last thing you do is jump in the water and go to them. Do you know why? You might know this. Is this common knowledge? Because what happens, if you're drowning, if you swim to that person, that person will fight you and try to drown you because they're trying to save themselves. Interesting. And so, in the same way, this is what it looks like to rely on your working to earn something from God. Maybe you're trying to earn being loved, accepted, or forgiven by God. And realize you're drowning, but then you want to do it yourself. It's fighting against God. No, I can do it. I can do it. I can do it. Versus if you want to be saved, if you're a person drowning, you know what you have to do? Nothing. You have to stop and surrender so the rescue swimmer can save you. It's the same way of coming to Christ, coming by faith. You have to stop and surrender and realize, I can't do anything. You've done it all. We have sung, you paid the price. Death on the cross. Now, point, Paul's point here in this text is that you cannot live by faith and by the law at the same time. You cannot. They are mutually exclusive. They cannot combine, commingle, or cohabitate. Two different things. So he says in verse 10 here, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse because it's written, everyone who does not do everything written in the law is cursed. James chapter 2, verse 10 says it like this, whoever keeps the entire law yet stumbles at one point is guilty of breaking them all. Which leads into verse 12. 
Look at verse 12 with me. It says, but the law is not based on faith. Instead, the one who does all these things will live by them. It says this, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us because it is written, curse is everyone who is hung on the tree. The purpose was that the blessing of Abraham would come to the Gentiles by Christ Jesus so that we could receive the promised spirit through faith. The law was not meant to replace faith, but to lead us to faith. And we're going to talk a little bit next week why the law is good. It's a good thing. But we've turned it into a bad thing by making it some kind of checklist of things to do. If I want to have a right relationship with God, if I want to earn something, if I want to be loved, if I want to be accepted by God, if I want to be forgiven of sins, I need to do these things. We view it as a ladder. If you do these things, you can climb your way up to heaven. A map, right? That's not what it was meant to be ever. It was meant to be more of a mirror to show you you can't do these things. Again, we're going to talk about why the law is good next week. But the best part of the law is to show you we can't do these things. There are a point to you that you do need someone to save you. We are sinking in our sinning, drowning, and we need a Savior. Let's do this. Let's play a little game together. Good? Can we play a game in church? Is that right? Yeah, I think so too. It's called You Can't Win. Right? Sound fun? Yeah, of course. Who wants, who wants to play a game you can't win? So what we're going to do, we're going to take just five of the Ten Commandments, the Big Ten, and see how we do. Right? Again, if we can keep them all, yeah, stumble at one point, we're guilty of breaking them all. We're going to do five. So let's do this one. It's, one of them is, do not have other gods besides me. So first on the surface level, like, yeah, that's good. I mean, yeah, there's one God. I'm good with that. I'm not worshiping statues and different things. Let me ask you this. What or whom is the aim of your attention or the primary source of your scheduling? If we were to look at our daily grind or our weekly flow, where's our focus at? Would somebody be able to take your calendar and be like, yeah, you clearly are worshiping Jesus throughout the week. Or does it more look like your kids, your spouse, your work, your school? It's interesting, those things that we put in place of God sometimes is a source of our affections and our attention. How about this one? Do not misuse the Lord's, uh, the name of the Lord your God. Anybody ever use the name of God as a cuss word? Sorry, you don't have to raise your hand on that one. But for us, Maybe at some point, Matt, I used to look, many of you know, firefighter for many years, and I use, they use the name, Lord's name as a cuss word all the time. All the time. Until I started doing something different. I did it the other day. So, for instance, we were at, some of you know I do some BMX racing on the side. I'm not good, but it's fun. Uh, I try to stay off the ground. That's my goal. But we were having a little team meeting, and the guy next to me says something like, you know, negative, and he says, Jesus. I said, said, where? He laughs, and then we talk, and so it was a good conversation. Like, yeah, he's coming back one day, right? He's like, yeah, I guess so, you know. But it's interesting, the words we use matter. So do we use God's name as a cuss word? How about this one? Do not murder. 
This one's like, yeah, I got that one. Any murderers, don't raise your hand, please. That'd be awkward. That'd be awkward. But it's crazy, because what Jesus does, he interprets the law for us. He says, yeah, you've heard it said, do not murder. I say, anyone who's angry with his brother or sister is guilty of murder. Anyone ever been angry? Probably in the parking lot before you walked in the doors, right? Parents? Yeah. How about adultery? Again, same thing. Jesus says, if you have lusted, you're guilty of adultery. I use these one. Any thieves? It says, do not steal. We got that one pretty good, right? Let me ask you this. Anyone ever taken a longer lunch break at work than you're supposed to? In that stealing time? Like, honestly, if we start peeling back the layers, instead of measuring our motives and measuring our actions, we see real quick that we have fallen a little bit short. And many of us are playing a game we can't win. Some of you are trying to earn God's love by relying on your work and trying to be good enough, trying to earn something, trying to be good enough. While others are trying to keep God's love by trying to be good enough. You ever been there? If I just do this, I know I'm going to do this and trying to stay in God's love. What I need us to see is stop trying. Stop trying. 1 Peter 2, 24 says, He himself, speaking of Jesus, He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that having died to sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Anyone who's come to faith in Jesus has been healed because of the scars he bore. And here's the encouragement I want us to know this morning. You did not earn God's love. Therefore, you cannot lose God's love. I think sometimes we just need to rest in that. Just rest in the amazing love that God has for you. And there's two ways of living that I think we all fall under. Two ways. One, keep striving. Keep striving. That means you keep trying to do all these things. You try to be perfect. You try to do all the right things. Man, I go to church on Sunday morning. I try to read my Bible sometimes. Like, I, I helped Grandma across the street the other day, right? Like, I try to do all these things. I serve in Wake Kids Ministry. God bless you. Thank you for that, right? But I try to do all these things. But it gets tiring because it becomes a performance. I'm trying to earn something. I'm striving. Jesus says this, has his expectation. Be perfect. Do you know perfection is the expectation before God? So how's it going? How's that going for you? This morning, have you been able to have a perfect morning? A perfect day? A perfect, no, no. but that is the expectation. So what do we do with that? Do we just stop and say, you know, I can never be good enough. I'm an awful human being. No. Because what God did says you're not awful. You're beautifully and wonderfully made just how I created you to, to, to know me and to be known 
by me and to enjoy my presence. I created you special. I'd come back to me. Stop striving to live for yourself. So that's one way we keep striving. The second way is to stop trying. That's what I want us to get to this morning. A way of living is to stop trying. Psalm 46.10 says like this, Stop fighting and know that I am God. Your translation may say, be still. But stop fighting and know that I am God. So many of us are fighting against God. In good ways, sometimes, like I'm trying to do all these things, and God says, just slow down and know me, rest in me. Stop fighting. Jesus says this in Matthew 11, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Let me ask you this. Are you coming in here a little weary this morning? A little burdened? Jesus says, come to me with that. You don't have to bear that. As a matter of fact, you can't. Come to me, and I will give you rest. Christ accomplished what we could not. He fulfilled God's expectations of perfection, bringing us salvation from God's condemnation. That means aside from Christ Jesus, you're stuck in your sinful ways and can't do anything about it, and God is righteous and just, and he punishes sin because he would be unjust if he didn't. But that's not how, where we have to stay at. God provided a way for all to come to him, but it comes from you surrendering yourself and trusting that he did exactly what he did on the cross for us. 1 Peter 3.18 says, For Christ also suffered for sins once for all. For the righteous, for the unrighteous, that he might bring you to God. He took the place for our sin. This is amazing that he took the place for your sin well before you even sinned. So that means if you're in Christ Jesus, and tomorrow, guess what? At some point, you're going to sin. It just happens. So what do you do with that? You remember that Christ Jesus paid the price for all your sins. And so when God's gracious enough to show you that you've fallen short, you turn and ask for forgiveness, knowing that he's faithful and just to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it's applied by faith. And Paul's point, it's always been like that. It's always been by faith alone to have a relationship with God alone. And that's what goes into verse 15. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, brothers and sisters, I'm using a human illustration. No one sets aside or makes additions to a validated human will. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and his seed. He does not say antecedes, as they're referring to many, but to refer to one, to your seed, who is Christ. My point is this. The law, which came 430 years later, does not invalidate a covenant previously established by God and thus cancel the promise. For if the inheritance is based on the law, it is no longer based on the promise, but God has graciously given it to Abraham through the promise. And what Paul is doing here, he's taking various Old Testament scriptures and interpreting them. He's really saying is that it's always been by faith. The law was given later, and the law is good, which again we'll talk about next week, but God's way to him has always been by faith alone. It's always been by faith it still is by faith and will always be by faith. God brings those who are dead in their sins alive by faith in him. So that's where it starts. 
And I think we know that generally. Like, we know, like, once we come to faith, I was, we come to Jesus, like, I trust that you paid the price. I don't understand it all, but I know by somehow, some way, you died on the cross for me, so that blood shed on the cross, you took my place. In your death and resurrection, I am now alive in you. But God also calls us to live a life by faith. And this is where I missed it as a young Christian. 20 years old, I came to faith in Christ. And for the next several years after that, I didn't have someone come alongside me to teach me kind of what it means to follow Jesus. I had this big book I do nothing about. Anyone ever been there? The Bible, I don't know what to do with this thing. It's huge. Depending on the Bible, some of these are big, right? I had no idea what to do with it. But I knew God changed me, so I wanted to do better. And when I did, I strived and I tried. I wanted to be, I knew I had to be better than better because that's what I was taught. And I wanted to, but I didn't know how. So I kept trying and trying and trying. So let me ask you this. Who's dealing with some struggles this morning? Anyone dealing with some things? Anyone have those improvement needed areas in your life? How about this? Anyone dealing with selfishness? I'm not raising my hand as an illustration. Like, literally, I deal with selfishness. I'm by myself. That's cool. Anyone deal with anger? How about gossiping? Ooh, that's a little more tricky. Yeah. How about lying? How about lusting? These characterized my first few years, my characterized, man, I just were stuck in these things. I couldn't conquer them. I was trying. Like, I didn't want to be angry. I didn't want to look at these things or talk about these things or speak like this or act like this. I didn't want to. But the more I tried not to, the more I was getting aggravated and frustrated because I kept doing those things. That's exactly what Mark talked about last week. Like, I want to be more patient, so I tried to be more patient. I wasn't more patient. I wanted to be angry less, so I tried to be angry less, and I was angry more. Like these things, I was trying. But it wasn't until I stopped trying for Christ and started remaining in Christ that God started radically changing things. Jesus says this in John 15. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who remains in me and I in him produces much fruit because you can do nothing without me. Your translation may say abiding. That means experiencing and keep on experiencing, leaning and keep on leaning, trusting and keep on trusting, being attached, connected to the source of our strength. So I think about it like this. So we've been getting real into some I've always been fascinated with military special operations people. This is a special breed, crazy kind of people that want to torture themselves like that, but I enjoy watching it because I could never do that. So we've been watching these basic training for like Navy SEALs and different things, and one of the drill instructors said, oh, beyond you, like white on rice. Anybody ever heard that statement? Yeah, my kids had not. They had no idea. That's something we use around the house. So my six foot, almost one son said, what does that mean? And as a good father, I'm going to explain what these things mean by illustration. So I jumped on him, right? It's go time. Let me show you. So I jumped on him. We rustled on the floor, and I'll show you what it means. And he's a little bit stronger than I anticipated, getting big. I'm getting older. 
But if I was thinking about this, this is what remaining in Jesus looks like, not wrestling Jesus, but staying attached to him intentionally, pursuing him. That's what it means to follow him. It means follow and keep on following, to try and be like him, to stay connected to him, remaining with him. Like we think when we come to faith, that's like the finish line. Your life has just started. You've been born again, a new creation. Now live as that, continuing remaining in Jesus, a source of our strength. As I was thinking about this, I was thinking about how Jesus is the supplier of our desires. See, if you've come to faith, you have the Holy Spirit dwelling in you, and he starts changing your desires. So instead of trying to do that on yourself, you rely more on him and let him change those things as a supplier of our desires. So if you want to stop being angry, start leaning into Jesus more. If you want to stop being so selfish or start being more patient or start being more generous, Psalm 37, 4 says, take delight in the Lord, and he will give you your heart's desires. We talk about the fruit of the Spirit, and we'll talk about that more in the coming week. The, the things that the Holy Spirit produces in you that you cannot. Goodness, kindness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the list goes on, right? These things that don't naturally come from us, they come from the work that God's doing in us if we're staying connected, remaining in him. So we need to stop trying for Jesus so much and start remaining in Jesus. And this is what, so I've heard John 15 taught a lot, but I never taught specifics on how and what that means. I gotta get, I'm supposed to re abide, remain, and how do you do that? I'm gonna give you three different ways. You're remaining by spending time in silence and solitude with him. That's Bible engagement. That's praying. And by silence and solitude, I don't mean trying to cram it in as you drive down the street. There's nothing about silence and solitude while you're driving. Like sometimes we give God the leftovers and we act like we don't, we wonder why we're not hearing from the Lord. We try and cram them in at best. You remain him by spending time with his people. That's small gatherings, that's Church gatherings, God's designed you to be in community with other believers. You remain in him by submersing yourself in things that stir your affections for him. I mean, for some of that's worship music. Maybe some things that you watch that stir your affections for Jesus. Now, sometimes what do we do? We do things that really don't stir our affections, anything for Jesus, and we wonder why we're angry and we're anxiety-ridden and we're fearful because all things that we're letting ourselves be subjected to. What if you stopped and immersed yourself in things that stir your affections for Jesus? You know what's going to happen? Your affections are going to be stirred for Jesus. Isn't that crazy? Remaining in him, pursuing him, and keep on pursuing him to be like him. The call to stop trying is to stop to trying to earn God's love and stop trying to earn staying in God's love. Going back to verse 11, it just says simply, the righteous will live by faith. And this is so key. Because faith is what changes our focus from what we can get to what we can give because of what we got. It used to be all about me. Until Jesus completely racked my life. Now, because of the great gifts and joy and hope and identity and purpose that God has given me, I want to now live a life to give those things 
for others. He stirs my affections for him and for others to know what I've received from him. The faith changes our focus, but also changes what we do. And so here I'm spending this whole time saying, stop trying, stop trying, stop trying. But there's also an emphasis of start doing. James 2, verse 14, asks this question. It says, what good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? The question is, can you follow Jesus and not do or look anything like Jesus? He answers it in verse 17. He says, faith, if it does not have works, is dead. So do we do things for Christ? We absolutely do. But what's the motives behind it? Are you trying to earn something or are you fueled by something? That's what I want us to get to here is faith is the fuel behind the why of everything you do. Faith is the fuel behind the why of everything you do. We've been talking about this year, the 2023 life of worship. Living a life of worship, which comes out of Romans 12.1. just says, out of the view of mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holding and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. And so everything we do should be out of a heart of worship. Faith fuels that. Faith is a fuel that leads us to live in a way that's pleasing to God. Faith is a fuel of why we love the unlovable. Faith is a fuel why we forgive the unforgivable. Faith is a fuel why we're patient with those who are impatient. Faith is a fuel why we bear one another's burdens. Faith is a fuel why we care for those who need to be cared for. Faith is a fuel why missionaries go to hard and hazardous areas for the sake of the gospel. Faith is a fuel why we share the gospel, make disciples, and plant churches. Faith is a fuel why we go to the homeless and the hungry and in enrichment. And faith is feel why we live sacrificially for the sake of all life, from conception to coffin. Faith fuels all things. So we do these things out of our faith, out of our love for God. Our mission statement just isn't something that we put on our banners. It's rooted in the greatest commandment and the great commission, love God, which leads to loving others, which leads to making disciples. If you get those out of whack, the motives are all messed up. And as I was in a meeting this week, I was just reminded, you know, we celebrate some changes that have been made to protect the sanctity of human life, the unborn. But it really does shift the focus again, because here the church has been crying out for more things to protect those who are still in the womb. And by God's grace, some things have changed so that they're more protected. But now what do we do as a church? How do we come alongside families that are hurting and hopeless, and don't want the baby. What do we do? Because right now what we're doing, we're pawning them off to the government systems. The foster care system here in Virginia has about 5,000 kids in it. That's bad. To make it worse, about 1,500 of them have the goal of adoption. So, 5,000 kids just need a home at some level, but 1,500 of those want a forever family, and they're waiting on someone to make that step. I mean, who believes that Christians should help kids without families? 
That's encouraging. You know, it almost sounds biblical, right? James 1.27 says, Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to look after orphans and widows in their distress. There's about 5,000 orphans in distress right now. Uncertainty. Bad environments. What are we doing about it? And I've just been stirred. Us for a church, how are we impacting the community we're in? And so here's a way. So as we all raise our hand, we need to do something about the orphans, specifically in this case. We have a chance to do something. But what's going to start with is one person in this church saying, I'm willing to be the advocate. And what that means is I'm willing to help lead the charge. And what Sin Relief does, because of your generosity, we give to organizations like Sin Relief. Sin Relief is now equipping churches to be able to lead ministries and come alongside those in the foster care system to love on, to help, to resource for the good of those families. But it starts with one person in this church that I'm willing to take that step to get trained, resource, and have this church come around me and to go and start doing the work that God's called us to do. It takes one person. So when I, when I ask for a response here shortly, I'm going to ask for it. We need one person. I'm convinced that one person's in here. And you're not alone. But it's going to take one person. It's not me. It's not me. It's going to be one of you. But then the church is going to rally around you as we put a team together. And that's going to be we. But I'm wondering who's going to be the advocate. So I'm asking you to pray through that right now. And here's what we do every Sunday is as we see the word, and as I'm praying that the Lord stirs in your heart a response. I'm going to give you two responses in addition to who's going to be the advocate for those that don't have an advocate. One response I'm going to encourage you to consider if this Lord's laying on your heart is to stop trying as a come-as-you-are invitation. That means, maybe for the first time, you've been searching for hope, you've been searching for identity, you've been searching for worth, and I have these desires, I don't know what to do with, and you finally figured out that God has created me to know him, to be known by him, and my identity is rooted in what the Bible says, I was fearfully and wonderfully made just as I am, and so help me to find my hope and identity in you, my source of forgiveness in you, my hope of salvation and life and new life in you that lasts forever. Come as you are, the Bible says. That means come in your sin. That means you can't clean yourself up, so don't even try. Come to God by faith in Jesus and let him start dealing with the sin that you're in. We could all flip backwards. Because the devil will say you're unworthy, you're not good enough, you never will be good enough. And it's true, but that's supposed to lead us to faith in the one who is good enough on your behalf. Joel 2.23 says, or 2.32 says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isaiah 1.18 says, though your skins are scarlet, they will be as white as snow, that though they were crimson, they will be like wool. Revelation 22.17 says, both the spirit and the bride say, come, let the one who hears us come. Let the one who is thirsty come, and let the one who desires to take the water of life freely come. This is a come-as-you-are invitation. So listen, if you haven't come to Jesus by faith alone, your time is now. I'm just convinced. What is the excuse you're making? God is good, and he desires for you to come to him. 
And so for others, maybe you've been following Jesus, but you've never been baptized. Listen, I'm going to have you respond today too. If you have not taken the step in baptism and obediently following Jesus and want to publicly identify with him and following him in baptism, today is that day for you. We're only going to take a moment after we close worship and we go get our kiddos out of the way, kids. We're going to gather on the back patio and we only have one person being baptized. I'm asking who else? We got bags, we got shorts, we got stuff. There's no excuse. The water's warm, it's going to be awesome. Is that you? So if that's you today, I'm going to ask you to pray with our prayer team, and they're going to hook you up with the supplies that you need. I'm going to ask you if that's you. If you're coming by faith for the first time, say, you know what? I knew about Jesus, but now I know Jesus. I know I need Jesus. I'm going to ask you to come and pray with our prayer team so we can pray for you because you're not in this alone. We're going to walk alongside you by faith. So that's one response. Really, there's probably like five responses in there, but I'm trusting the Lord to work through that. And finally, I'm going to ask you, Christian, to stop trying and come and be armed by Christ. See, this is what we do. We try to do all these things on our own strength, and I need you to know you can't. Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strengthened by the Lord and by his vast strength. So stop trying and start leaning more on the Lord than you are on yourself because you can't bear the burden. You can't be strong enough, good enough, but Jesus can do that in you and through you, but it takes us surrendering and start resting in him. And so I'm going back to where we started. I'm going to invite our band back up because they're going to lead us in one more worship song. But here I am just getting my teeth kicked in by my six-foot, one, 180-pound friend in football. So as the line was come back again, it was my turn. I switched places with my other friend. My other friend, 6'5", about 215. So the outcome was a little different. He took my place. And he didn't get mowed over. He was strong. He was able, because I wasn't. I wonder how many of us need to get to that point where we need to realize that we're not strong and we're not able, but Jesus is. So to stop trying is a call to start surrendering. Start remaining and following Jesus in all things. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to invite you to respond to what God's doing. That could be several different things. As we sing, maybe you should respond by just praying right where you're sitting, asking God to do something in your life. Maybe you see some sin that you weren't aware of. Maybe it's asking God to forgive you of that sin and knowing that he's faithful and righteous to cleanse you and forgive you of all sin. Maybe your response is going and praying with our prayer team and say, you know, I knew a lot about Jesus, but now I know I need Jesus and I want that. Maybe your response is, today's my day to start publicly following Jesus by starting with baptism. If it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. I want to do that. Maybe your response is just singing, praising because God is worthy. Whatever your response is, do that. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for bringing us here. And just a reminder of your goodness and your grace. Thank you for the reminder that we can come to you with our weariness and our sinfulness. 
and rest at your feet, resting in your amazing love that you have for us. Bless as he continues to stir in our hearts the reminder to surrender all that we have to you because you are trustworthy and you desire to have that relationship with us. Or stir our affections for you more than for ourselves. Well, I pray that you continue to remove any anxiety, fear, and stresses and help us to lean more on you when those things creep in, knowing that you are good and that you're over all things, and help us just to follow you well. Resist the lies of the enemy, the lies of the culture, that we're to follow our desires, follow these different things, that we're to follow you and rest in who you are. And let everything that we are flow from a love for you. Father, we thank you for your amazing love. We thank you for this time. We thank you for all you're doing in this place and in our lives. And we thank you for Jesus. And we pray all this in the name that's above every other name. That is the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Way Church Podcast. If you would like prayer or if you'd like to talk to someone about a personal relationship with Jesus, please contact us through our website at thewaychurchrva.com.